so I'm speaking in the next in the series of uh, Christian heroes. So I'm going to speak about somebody who is my Christian hero. Um, I have to say there's lots of Christians I really admire and I could speak about, but I thought it only right to speak about the person who caused me to come to faith. She's called Jackie Pullinger. How many of you have heard of Jackie Pullinger? Who has read her book, Chasing the Dragon? Quite a lot of you. So uh, uh, you will know a lot about uh, what I'm going to be speaking about. I uh, admire her because uh, the way she lived her life brought me to faith, which I'll say a bit about later. But also, um, I find her a constant challenge to me and encouragement to me because she says yes whenever God calls her no matter how risky it looks or how scary it looks. And being somebody who is riddled with fear of everything, uh, I I need somebody like Jackie to look to as an example. So in a moment, I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, Jackie. I'm very excited because for the first time ever, I'm going to try and do this. And it worked. (laughs) It's sad. That's quite a big moment for me. Um, So in a moment, I'm going to say a little bit more about Jackie. But What I wanted to do is first look at a a passage in 2 Kings 5 about Naaman, because I think this story is the perfect illustration of why saying yes to God, no matter what he asks us to do, is so important. So let me fill you in on the story so far. Naaman is the king of Aram's commander-in-chief. And the king holds him in great esteem because he's a valiant soldier and he's won many battles on his behalf. Naaman is at the top of the game and very much in favor. But not not all is good in Naaman world because he has leprosy. Then one of uh, Naaman's wife's servants, who was an Israelite who'd been captured, uh, mentions that there's a prophet in Samaria who could cure him. So Naaman goes and speaks to his king, and the king of Aram is more than happy to help. So he sends Naaman to the king of Israel, along with some treasure and a note requesting that he heal Naaman of his leprosy. The king of Israel's absolutely mortified, thinking that the king of Aram is picking a fight with him, because everybody knows leprosy is not curable. He tears his clothes and throws his hands up in the air. And the prophet Elisha hears about this and tells the king of Israel not to worry, but to send Naaman to him. And that's where we're going to join them. Oh, it was working so well. Ah, don't know if I'm going to be qualified for this anyway. Let's try. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. (laughs) Thank you. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned away and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. 
and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So in order to be transformed, Naaman had to say an unequivocal yes to God, no matter what God happened to ask him to do. And that all sounds really simple in theory, but in my experience in practice, it is never quite so simple. And for Naaman, the request was perhaps a little bigger than we sometimes think. When Elisha asked Naaman to wash himself seven times in the Jordan, he's asking him to physically demonstrate his submission to another country's God in preference to his own. Any of you football supporters out here? Two. I find that hard to believe. I seem to be subjected to football 24-7, but anyway. Uh, This must have felt to him like a football supporter being asked to wear another team's strip in public. So what do our football supporters think about that? Walk down the street wearing another team's shirt. Saying yes meant humbling himself, risking everything he'd previously stood for, and putting his life in God's hands. If Israel God was not the one true God who he says he was, he would have made a public fool of himself for nothing. So for him, saying yes meant risking his status with absolutely no guarantee of a good outcome. But without this yes, he knew he would not be healed. And I want to suggest that this principle always holds true. We all face moments like Naaman when we have to decide whether we want to risk saying yes to God. And that is uh, one of those moments of decision which changes our life forever. The first time I encountered one of these uncomfortable moments that I had with God was when I had just become a Christian. I went on an alpha course on which I learned about the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is a gift of the spirit, a new language by which we can speak to God without the limitation of learned words. And it's available to everybody. We start speaking, but it is the spirit within us that shapes our words. They told us that this language is sometimes understood by other people, but that generally it's our own private language of praise for God, for our own benefit. And actually, I really liked the idea of this. So when they gave us the opportunity, I gave it a go. So what they suggested that we did is we pretend speaking in a foreign language we didn't actually know. And then they explained that God would shape our words once we got going. So I did that. But absolutely nothing supernatural happened. I just had to continue making up a language. And I have to be honest, I felt very foolish, so I stopped. Um, Over my time of becoming a Christian, I saw a lot of people receive this gift supernaturally. But every time I tried another go at at trying to speak in tongues, all that happened was I continued to make up my own language. Um, In in my heart, I knew that God wanted me to persist, uh, but everything within me wanted to stop and not think think about it again because it was really discouraging and also it had made me look like a complete idiot. And I felt like if I kept going and I was making it up, then I was just being a fraud. But if I stopped, then I was rejecting a gift that God was offering me. So that wasn't good either. So after a considerable amount of time wrestling with God, I said yes to him. And I told him I would make up my language and use it regularly. 
um, even though I didn't feel it was the right thing, and I asked him to accept it as my worship in any case. So from that moment onwards, I would practice my made-up language in my quiet times, and also I found um, when I was praying for other people, if I didn't have a specific word to, to use or anything, I'd just quietly pray, pray for them in my made-up made language, asking God to bless them. And uh, I didn't really think much more about it. I, I felt sort of fairly at ease with it. I was a bit sad that I hadn't received this amazing gift that everybody else had, but that was it. And then sometime later, I was praying for someone at the end of a service. And as I didn't have a specific word for her, I was quietly speaking in tongues and asking God to bless her. Her eyes had been closed while I was praying, and then all of a sudden, she opened them up and stared at me, which is uh, not a normal thing to do. I didn't know you spoke Polish, she said. <laughs> I said, I don't. And she said, well, you just did, fluently and with a good accent. <laughs> I don't know who was most flabbergasted. I think we were both incredibly encouraged. Me, because I felt that my yes to God had been validated. And she, because she had been going through an incredibly difficult time. And for once, she knew it wasn't just my words of hope for her, but that was God speaking to her directly. And that's happened a few times since. Uh, the last one being on uh, Alpha Holy Spirit Day here, and I was praying for somebody who hadn't yet become a Christian. And uh, I was again praying very quietly in, in tongues, and as I prayed, he started crying. And he later told me that I had been speaking to him in his mother's African dialect, um, which he knew that I didn't speak. And it was God speaking directly to him. And as a result of it, he became a Christian. As I look back, I'm so pleased I managed to finally pluck up the courage and say yes to God. Because otherwise, I'd never have had the opportunity to be part of those God stories. But you may notice that both Narman and I wrestled with God before we submitted to him. And I think the reason that I find Jackie so inspirational in, is that her faith is so strong. It seems no matter what God asks her to do, she just says yes without hesitation. So the first time I heard about Jackie was before I became a Christian. And it was the authenticity of her ministry that had such a profound effect on me that I turned to Christ so I'd been raised in a, a church-going family, and as a child, I really loved hearing the story, stories of restoration and healing in the New Testament, but I never saw anything like it in real life. And as a result, I had long since rejected Christ Christianity as ineffective and irrelevant. After all, if Jesus were alive today, we should surely expect to see signs of his presence. And then one day when I was in my 20s, I was watching TV, I'm afraid I'm a terrible channel flicker to the annoyance of everybody I know, but I was on my own, and I stumbled across this program that absolutely captivated me. It was probably halfway through when I started watching, but I was mesmerized. I watched agog as I seem, saw what seemed to be the next chapter of the Bible unfolding before my eyes. The homeless were being sheltered. The hungry were being fed. And most astonishingly for me, the sick were being prayed for and healed miraculously through prayer alone. The gospel was being proclaimed in word and deed, 
and the power of it was palpable. I was absolutely transfixed by what I saw. And if I could have, I would have leapt off my sofa and flown out to Hong Kong right there to go and have a look up close at what God was doing. But as that wasn't possible, I hungrily read Jackie Pullinger's book, Chasing the Dragon. <laughs> in it, I learned that Jackie had for many years been serving the poorest of the poor in Hong Kong and had seen many miraculous healings as a result of her ministry. And I also learned that Jackie didn't look that different to me. She was just an ordinary middle-class 22-year-old girl who'd been a Christian for a very short time when God first called her to go to Hong Kong as a missionary. And for those of you who have never heard about Jackie, I'm going to tell you a very short snippet uh, about her, and I hope um, as all those who do know about her are reminded, it will inspire you again. So when God asked Jackie to go, she immediately applied for every missionary organization she could find. But one after another, they all turned her down. So she went to go and speak to her pastor. And he said if she was 100% sure that God was calling her to go to Hong Kong, she should just go like Abraham before her in faith and trust him to give her further instructions when she got there. So she saved up all the money she could and bought the cheapest one-way ticket she could find and boarded a boat to Hong Kong in faith. Now this was definitely not the safe option. The risks were huge. She set off to Hong Kong with no idea of what she was supposed to do once she got there. She didn't have a traveling companion. She had no missionary society or church backing her. She had no previous experience of the country she was about to enter. She had no friends or contacts to greet her there to make sure she was arriving safely. She had no accommodation booked, no job awaiting her, and no return ticket. The only assets she carried with her were six pounds that she had in her pockets, which incidentally wasn't enough to last for three days in Hong Kong, and her faith and her calling. I'll be honest. If I put myself in Jackie's position, age 22, and imagine God had asked me to go rather than her, I can just hear my excuses. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I'm not equipped in any way, shape, or form to be a missionary. Nobody's told me what to do yet. Anyway, it's not safe for me to go as a young woman, traveling alone, and I don't have sufficient funds. And what happens if I arrive and I can't find accommodation? What if I can't find a job? I could get ill. What happens if it doesn't work out? I can't even have enough money to come back home. What if I get abducted? Nobody will ever know. I'll tell you what. I'll do a course. I'll save up some money. I'll get some sponsorship and support. And then ask me again and I'll say yes. But it goes without saying, if Jackie, hadn't, if Jackie had responded like me, she would never have had the profound impact that she has on so many lives. But Jackie did say yes, without looking back. As soon as she arrived in Hong Kong, she set about finding work and praying for God's guidance as she went. She initially taught music at a girls' college in Hong Kong, but accepted a request to volunteer at a primary, a primary school in Kowloon Walled City in her spare time. The Walled City was one of the most densely populated, deprived, and dangerous places on earth which is why it was pulled down in 1993. It was known for being a home to the triads, who are the Chinese organized crime syndicates. 
and to opium dens, brothels, illegal abortions, illegal dentists, and it also served as a place of refuge for illegal immigrants. Apartment blocks had no sanitation, no water or lighting. Food waste and excrement were disposed of by emptying them out of the window into the stinking alleys below. This is an abbreviated description of Jackie's first visit. Behind these tawdry shops rose the ramshackle skyscraper of the walled city. It seemed impossible to find a way in, but my guide knew exactly where to go. We squeezed through a narrow gap between shops and started walking down a slime-covered passageway. I will never forget the smell of rotten foodstuffs, excrement, offal, and general rubbish. As I walked between the houses, their projecting upper stories almost touched each other above us. It felt like we were in an underground tunnel. However, from the moment she stepped into this dark place, Jackie's heart lit up because she knew that she she knew that God was calling her to these people. In spite of being a lone female in one of the world's most dangerous cities, her answer was still yes. Working at the primary school, Jackie became aware of the plight of the older children from children for whom there was absolutely no provision. So she gave up her day job and invested her wages in setting up a youth club. And from that moment on onwards, she didn't live on a salary, but by faith. The club was just a bare room with some benches and games equipment. But it provided a safe place for the children to play and gave her an opportunity to get to know them and to find out how she could help them practically and to tell them about the love of Jesus. Initially, Jackie saw very little fruit from her endless hard work, but she kept going. Things reached an all-time low when some of the youth she was serving actually broke into the club, smashed up the equipment, and smeared the walls with some of the excrement they found running down the street outside. Jackie was heartbroken, but her answer to God still remained yes. She cleaned up the room and reopened the club. The following evening, the local triad boss sent Winson, an opium addict, and the triad's high-ranking fight fixer to offer Jackie some protection. Jackie told him she didn't need his protection as Jesus would protect her. However, Winson was under orders, so he continued to remain at his post and came back nightly to stand at the door and guard her club. Over time, Jackie got to know him and to tell him about the salvation and healing that Jesus offered. And finally, one night, Winston agreed to come into the meeting. And to her astonishment, started joining in the worship, and then even more surprisingly, burst out speaking in tongues. And from that moment, he was miraculously cured of his opium addiction and left his old way of life. As a result of this undeniable transformation, other addicts approached Jackie for help. So Jackie started worship, weekly worship meetings in the walled cities. Addicts would come, meet Jesus, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and speak in tongues. Many would weep in repentance and later withdraw from long-term drug addiction with no pain. Once they had come to faith and were freed from their addictions, Jackie and her friends started to take them into their homes so they would have a loving family environment in which to be discipled. 
1985, Jackie was lent the use of some tim huts in the poorest part of Hong Kong. Many of the hundreds of addicts who by now had been placed in homes all around Hong Kong came to live in this camp. And they became like a true family, working, sleeping, eating, and worshipping together. And from this site, they began to reach out to the homeless in Hong Kong to pray for them and house them. It was a time of many miracles, and hundreds of people would flock to their center. And I believe that this is the point to which they were filmed for the program that I saw all those years ago. Although the walled city has since been destroyed, Jackie's work continues, and the number of lives that have been restored physically, emotionally, and spiritually continues to grow. I find Jackie's whole way of life both incredibly inspiring, but also really challenging. Challenging. And it strikes me that she has incredible, powerful stories to tell of God's transformation. But she only has these because she has said yes without hesitation to everything that God's asked her, even when she didn't know where she was heading off to, even when it meant taking very serious risks, even when she knew it might make her look foolish, and even when she couldn't see any fruit, she kept going. And that's what I pray I would learn from her. I would love to be, uh, well, I would love for all of us here to be known as a church who take risks so that we too could have many stories to tell of captives being set free, sick being healed, and the power of God being demonstrated for all to see. So that, like me, many people would come to faith as a result of what was going on here. I find um, life is, comes in seasons and there are uh, some seasons when you know that God is calling you into the next thing. And you may be somebody who, like Jackie, finds it very easy to say yes. Or you may, might be somebody a little bit more like me who struggles um, and thinks of all the reasons that it couldn't possibly work out. <laughs> 